This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, so one of the problems is I, I speak, I speak, I speak so much that I don't know what I said last time I was here. So sometimes I'm repetitive, and that's not good. But if you've heard the story already, you've heard the story. Tonight I'm not going to be repetitive. Because I really wrote this year for tonight. For tonight it's a little bit of a rough shear, um, but it's real. And it talks about the chosen nation. What were we chosen for? So there's a Mishnah. Let's find the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. By the way, I have to mention that tomorrow night there's a concert. Where's David? David, you here? He left already. Oh, here you are. What time's the concert tomorrow night? Four o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Four o'clock where? Heavenson Township High School. Heavenson Township High School. So, and I, uh, they're pushing me to play. I'm... I'm a drummer, but I've been quiet about it, and they're pushing me to play it here in Chicago, so I don't know. We'll see. You may not be so happy after you hear it, so clap after that. We'll see. Okay, anyway. There's a mission in Pirkeovos. Hu ha'yomer, no one better to say this than Rabbi Akiva. Hu ha'yomer. Chaviv adam shenivra b'tselem. Chaviv Adam Shinibra B'Tselem, the love of Hashem to us, to every human being, is that He created us in His image. Chiba Yisera, an extra piece of love, Noidas Shinibra B'Tselem, that He lets us know that He created us in His image. Shinema, Ki Alokim Asa Esa Adam, Hashem created us in His image. In other words, if I do something for you, but I don't tell you that I'm doing it for you. Then you have no appreciation that I'm doing it for you. So if I love you, and I put money into your bank account, and you don't know that I put a million dollars, I'm not going to do this, I'm just giving you an example. <laughs> that I put a million dollars, you're an ani, a poor man, and you're collecting from door to door, and I secretly put a million dollars in your bank account, but you don't know about it. You don't check your bank account, why should there be money in your bank account? You're an ani. And I'm so happy I put a million dollars. Meanwhile, you're going around collecting, thinking you're an Ani. So really, are you an Ani? It's a whole class that I give in my seminary. Are you still poor? You're not poor. You have a million dollars in your account. But you don't know that you have the million dollars in your account. So maybe you're still poor because you're still collecting because you don't know. So the mission tells us that you're rich. That Hashem created you in His image. But you're richer... Because he tells you that he created you in your image. So he's telling you, I put a million dollars in your account. Okay? The Pasik says, I created you in my image. What does that mean? I don't remember if I said this in Chicago or not. What does that mean? What is the image of God? Who in this room thinks you're the image of God? Okay, my mother-in-law. But outside of that, right? I'm saying... She's not here, I can say it. She doesn't, she's really a nice lady. But, what does that mean? You walk around, you're like, I'm creating the image of God. What? Hashem walks on two feet, he has a nose, he has eyes. What does that mean? It's a very nice mission, Rabbi Akiva. But what does that mean? What does Tselem mean? Tselem, the Shoresh of the word Tselem, is Tsel. What's a Tsel? A Tsel is a shadow. Now, if you have a ball that's round, it cannot cast a square shadow. 
the shadow of the object, it could be longer, sometimes you're walking, you see yourself really teeny, and sometimes you see yourself like a nine foot, I remember one time I saw, I was like, wow, I could be in the NBA, but then as I passed the light, I became very small, very teeny, so I was like a munchkin. So you, you, your shadow can change, but you, your shadow is going to have a head and legs and feet. It's not going to be square. It's not be, you can't walk and have a shadow of a cat. You're a human being. So somehow, some way, everyone in this room is a shadow of God. But that would mean that God looks like us, but he doesn't look like us. So what is this word? We learn this Mishnah. We learn this Pasuk. It's very nice. It makes you feel good. I am created in the image of God. But when I ask the question, what does that mean? Nobody has any idea. How do we shadow God? And it's amazing. The answer is absolutely amazing. There is something about God that every human being, not a Jew, Kol Adam, is created B'Tselem Elohim. Not, not only a Jew. There's something about God that each one of us has exactly like Him. And therefore we're a shadow of Him. What is that? Oneness. There's only one Zechariah Wallerstein, thank God. There's only one of me. There's only one of each one of you. There never was one before, and there never will be another one. Yes, there's, there's Gulgulim. You, Moshe Rabbeinu was a Gilgal of Noach, but he wasn't Noach. He was Moshe Rabbeinu. He had certain DNA, spiritual DNA markers, from Noah, if you learn anything in Seifel Gugulim, it's not the whole neshama, it's pieces of the neshama. You can be a Gilgul of three different, three different people at one time, and be yourself at the same time. So, whoever's in this room, you've never been here before as you are now. And you never will be again. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Chaim Schwartzberg, Echad. There's only one Chaim Schwartzberg. So we have Elokus. We have something godly about us. What do we have that shadows exactly God? Oneness. There's only one of us. That is crazy holiness. That is a crazy attribute. But at the same time, it's a crazy responsibility. Because if I mess up, there's no one else that's going to be me that could fix it. I have to fix it myself. But it seems to be, from Rabbi Akiva and the Mishnah, that this is something to be proud of. Chiva Yisera. It's a love that Hashem made us all with a different fingerprint. There are schools of fish, and there are herds of animals. But human beings, every single one of them is separate. And that puts a lot of weight on your shoulder. Because if there was going to be someone else like me, or there was someone else like me before, okay, so I could fail. No. So I failed, the next guy will make it, the next the next Zechariah Wallstein will make it. The mission says there is no next Zechariah Wallstein. you got to make it. And that's the Chibi Yusera. Because Bochel tells everyone in this room, you cannot fail. If you fail, there's not going to be another one of you that's going to make it. And the Mishnah goes on. That's really good. It's a big responsibility. 
but it's very special. I tell it to girls who are depressed and in bad places. I'm like, look in the mirror. There's only one of you. You got to make it. We can't depend on anyone else. You have to make it. You were created to tell him Elikim. But the Mishnah goes on. Chaviv in Yisrael. There's an extra love to Klai Yisrael. Shenikru banam lamakom. We are called the children of God. And the extra love is that he tells us. If someone's your child, but you never let them know that you're, their, their, that you're their father and mother, and the kid goes around his whole life thinking he has no father and mother, even though you are his father and mother, it's very nice. But if you don't tell him that, right, what does it mean to him? Nothing. So the Torah, so he says, The Torah tells us that we are his children. That's also a very big responsibility. Because every hope of every parent and every dream of every parent is that their future will continue. And how does a person's future continue? Once he dies, it's over. And the answer is no. Really, a woman and a man cannot become one. Can't. You're two different people. If Shalom Bayes, it's very nice. Physically, it's very nice. But Lemaisa... You're Mr. and Mrs. The invitation comes, Mr. and Mrs. You're two different people. When does a person become one? A person becomes one when they have a child. Because the child is made from the father and the mother. It's from them. So even after the father and mother are no longer in the world, they are in the world. In fact, I heard this share, it's an amazing share. In fact, there are more one when they're not here and they have a child, they're more one, or when they are here, they have a child, the child is more one of them than they are when they're married and they're together. Because the child is taking both of them and becoming one person, that they're both in that person. And the Gemara talks about what a mother gives, what a father gives, the mother gives the color of the human being. It talks about a beautiful shir that I heard about Pesach, and that the Pesach table, it's Hashem coming up, in Nisan, that the Pesach table represents the creation of a person, the creation of a world, and the man brings the white of the human body, and the woman brings the color, so the man brings into the human body the vertebrae, the skeleton, which is white, which is bone, that comes from the man, the DNA of the man. The DNA of the woman comes through the lips and the hair and all the organs that have colors, the heart, the liver, all the different organs that are in the body and the veins and all the things that have color in the body, even your skin, right? That all comes from the, from the woman. But from the man comes the skeleton. And without the skeleton, you, if you take all the organs of the human body without the human skeleton and you put them in a pile, there's no way that a person looking at them could tell you if it's animal organs or human organs. The way that you know it's a human is by looking at the skeleton that you're looking at, then you know that it's a human skeleton. So on Pesach, we put together the wine, which is the color, which is from the Isha, and we put together the, the white, which is the matzah, which is the bone, and we build at the Seder. We build... We build another human being, but we know that you can have all the organs and you can have the bones. If you don't have the spirit, the person doesn't come alive. So, the sepa, the talking, the speaking about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, that's the spirit from Hashem. The spirit plus the etzim plus the matzah plus the wine, that's what makes the human being. And that's how we build on Pesach. So, having a child 
and that's why it's brought down. It's just interesting that, that this has a lot to do with Pesach, that that's why we have a special mitzvah on Pesach to tell our children, we don't have that. We don't have that on, on Sukkot, and we don't have that on Shavuos, and we don't have that any other time, specifically because to become a nation, Klai Yisrael, to become one with Hashem, it's through our children. Hashem was the Chassan, and we were the Kala, we went Shavuos to the Chuppah, to the Harsinai, but to consummate the relationship between the Jewish nation and God comes through our children. So, Banim Atemla Hashem, when Hashem says, you are my children, He is telling everyone in this room that in this world, you are my future. And without you, I have nothing. Because the people who don't have children, once they pass away, there's no continuation of their life. Hashem says, if you are not my children, then after I have nothing. What do I have in the world? I have no malchus, I have no children. So at the same time, He's complimenting us, and He's telling us that we're His banim, at the same time, He puts a heavy weight on our shoulders. Because if we are His children, and we don't perform, and we don't conform, and we don't do what, he, what we're supposed to do, and His children fail, then God fails. If we fail, He fails. And the third part of the Mishnah says, Chaviv and Yisrael. You're my children, but you're also Kla Yisrael. Shinasan lehem klechemda. I gave you my most beautiful keli. And I told you about it. I didn't. You know, you imagine you, you buy your wife an anniversary present. You don't give it to her. And you put it, you hide it. Right? She doesn't know that you bought it for her. So she's not happy. But meanwhile, you have a $10,000 diamond necklace that you hid somewhere in the house. That's foolish. What did you do? So Kushbotha says, I gave you a special present. But if I'm going to hide it, you don't know I gave it to you. It's worthless. Shibi Yusera. I gave you this very special treasure. My Torah, please do not leave. I gave you this beautiful necklace. So the, so the missionary, Rabbi Akiva, specifically Rabbi Akiva, who we know was about Shuva, right? And went through very hard times until he was 40 years old. We know about that. He specifically realized all the beautiful gifts that we're B'Tselem Alekim, that we have oneness, that we're his children, and that we have something very beautiful called the Tyra. So we're his chosen children, and I have to tell you a discussion that I've had lately a lot, and it's a little painful, but it has to be explained. And I went to Eretz Yisrael, my father's yard site, specifically to get an answer for something that's bothering me very much. Very nice to teach this Mishnah. Chosen image, presence. And there's some people sitting in this room and like, Reverend Wallenstein, what are you talking about? We're taught that if you do the wrong thing, you're going to burn in Gehenna. A lot of rabbis talking like that lately. Went through school. I didn't love Hashem. I wasn't in awe of Hashem. I feared Hashem. He was this mean thing that lived in Shemayim that all he did was burn people. He gave us a Torah so we could slip up, mess up, and he could say, Oh, Skila, let's stone him. 
Hooray! Let's chop his head off. It's right for. Let's pour some hot lead down his throat. Chenek! Let's choke him. Let's hit him 39 times with a whip. My Rebbe always used to say, you mess up, you're going to Gehenna, this place, this terrible place called Gehenna, which the Torah never, ever mentions. <coughs> Torah talks about Ganeiden and Bereshis. It never mentions the word Gehenna. It says Sha'ol, and Rashi says that's Gehenna. But the Torah was scared to talk about Gehenna. Because it's not what God wants. He doesn't want you to look at him. Some mean being. And all he does is he takes Jewish people and he barbecues us. And then he looks and says, oh, that one's not ready. Flip them over. But the kids of this generation look at me and say, I really don't want to have anything to do with your God. He's a mean, angry, vengeful God. He killed six million Jews. My aunt has cancer. My cousin committed suicide. Everybody's sick. Everyone's divorced. People are not getting married. People who are getting married don't have children. What's this Chiva Yisera? Very nice in a Mishnah. But in real life, it seems to me that he just sits there and punishes and punishes and punishes and you'll get your reward after you finish going through the cleaners. After you do 11 months in Gehenna, oh, then you'll go to get, you'll get Ganeiden. No one goes directly to Ganeiden. It's great, no? It's great when a teacher tells that to you. You're not going to go to Ganeiden. I don't care how big a tzaddik you are. You first have to go to Gehenna. And kids don't want to deal with this anymore. We had no choice. We were soldiers. People who were my age. You got smacked. You did this. You, did. you just walked through the fire. It didn't matter. But today, they have a choice. It sounds sick, but it's reality. They have a choice. Step in or step out. We had no choice. We didn't think we had a choice. We did. But we didn't know that we had a choice. Today's generation, the choice, I don't like Hashem. I don't like what he's doing. Who asked him to put me here? I get that all the time. I asked him? I told my parents to have a kid? It was their idea. It was their problem. Not my problem. Who asked him to put me here? So he put me here, and then he gave me a bunch of rules, and then he tells me, if you don't keep the rules, I'm going to punish you? Who told you to put me in the game? I didn't ask you to be in the game. Why are you giving me a penalty? Very real. We're losing a lot of kids to this. And adults. It's like, what, 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 what do I need this for? Like, so the truth is, it's so wrong. So when I went there to Israel. I told my Rebbe, who I usually get 10 minutes with Rebbe Gamliel, Rebbe Novitz, I said, no, 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 not this time. This time I need a couple of hours. And I sat down with him. I said, Rebbe, I speak all over the place. I have all these students. I have all these kids off the derech. They're coming to me and they're like, I don't want to deal with this God. I'm out of here. I don't even believe he exists. Because if he really exists and he really was my father, my father doesn't act like this. I can say, I'm sorry. He doesn't say the only way you're going to get a prize is if you go through fire. He's not going to chop my head off. I don't want to deal with this. So I said, Rabbi Gamliel, help me. What do I tell Klai Yisrael? On the other hand, it's what it says in the Torah. Skilas for herichenek. Right? And there is a Gehenna. So I can't get up like some others that say, listen, don't worry about it. Do whatever you want. 
Just sing Zemiris. Be happy. Dance and tvas around the moonlight. Sing a couple of songs. Get drunk. Love Hashem. And all is forgiven. False. I'd love to say that. That's it. We'll become a bunch of hippies in the 1960s. I would love it. All of us. We don't have to worry about Averis. We'll get together Friday night. We'll all drink. You know, Johnny Walker Blue. We'll get Blitz. We'll drink some beer. We'll sing Zemiris all night. Then we'll dance. Forgiven. We amazing. But that would be a lie. You'd all come back afterwards and say, why don't you tell us the truth, Rabbi? That doesn't work. On the other hand, to get up and say that he's a mean, vengeful, punishing God, that doesn't work either. I said, I said Rabbi Gamliel, my Rebbe, I'm in a pickle. I can't say it one way and I can't say it the other way. What do I do? So this is what he told me. Something that I have spoken about before, but he gave me clarity. He said, God doesn't punish. Doesn't exist in his world. But when he created the world, the physical world, at the same time, he created the spiritual world. And in the physical world, there's something that teenagers don't like. And I always say the difference between a teenager and adult is one word. Consequence. Kids is Nike. Nike is, just do it. Right? That's what it says on the shirt. Just do it. You don't worry about it later. Don't worry about it. Just do it. You feel good. It makes you feel good. It's drugs. It's drinking. Whatever it is. It makes you feel good right now. Live. And I I hear the preachers of it. Live in the now. You got to live in the now. They're all speaking about it. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about the past. You got to live in the now, and the now is good. So you got to feel good about the now. Totally anti everything that we learn. Just do it. Totally anti everything that we learn. Hashem created a world with physical consequence. And at the same time, He created a world with spiritual consequence. If you take a glass, a beautiful crystal glass, and you drop it on a stone floor... It's going to shatter. Is the floor punishing the glass? Ridiculous. Is the floor angry at the glass? Ridiculous. Glass hits the floor, it's going to break. It is a consequence in this world. In physics, we learn the first thing in the theory, and anything in physics, right? So you have that, I remember as a kid, you had that, those marble things, those six metal marbles, and you drop one, and then the other one on the other side popped out. Every action has a reaction, the first basis of anything in physics. Every action has a reaction. Physics is the study of the world. And they themselves, in science, the first thing you learn in physics is every action has a reaction. A nice way of saying that in English is everything has a consequence. So the way Hashem created the world in the physical world, you stand in front of a car at 80 miles an hour, you're going to die. Is the car angry at you? No. Is the guy driving the car angry at you? No. Are you going to get up and say it's a vengeful, evil, disgusting car? No. You're going to say it's a consequence of getting in front of a car at 80 miles an hour. So Gamliel said, 
that everything in the Torah and all these things that we look as punishments they're not the consequence of doing a certain sin is that the only way to fix in your physical world what you broke the glass that you broke would be the punishment that it, the consequence that it says in the Torah and then the object is fixed or was broken is fixed so everything in the Torah that we look at as an evil mean God and that he sits up there and puts you in Gehenna is not a punishment it's a consequence the consequence of going to a wedding and pouring orange soda on your shirt on your way to the wedding is you're going to have to take your shirt to the cleaners your shirt going into the cleaners is not a punishment of your shirt even though it is Gehenna for the shirt Right? It gets into the, to the dryer, it tumbles, it spins, then they press it and they squeeze it and they fold it. It sort of sounds like Gehenna for your shirt. The Gehenna of the shirt. Maybe we'll name a cleaners like that. <laughs> Permanent press. Oh my gosh, that must hurt, right? And the answer is it's just the consequence of getting rid of the stain. So he said to me, I'll tell you a story. And he said, there's a guy that was going to a wedding. Big, fancy wedding in the Waldorf. Now there's a Waldorf in Israel. And he's on the way and he has this terrible stomach ache and he defecates all over his clothing, all over himself. All human waste all over him and he stinks and he smells and he's disgusting and he can't go to the wedding like this. It's a fancy wedding. He can't, they're not going to let him through the doors even. It's the Waldorf. They have two guys standing there. There's no way a guy's going to walk in like that. They're going to throw him out on his head. So he, he wants to come to the wedding, but they don't let him in. So this very nice guy walks up to him and says, Ooh, you stink. Let me help you. And he takes, he takes out a room in the Waldorf, and he takes him upstairs, and he, gives, he, t- he takes a shower, and he buys him right away downstairs in tuxedo shop. He buys him a tuxedo and shoes. He has to change everything. Everything was all over everything. And he, and he goes, gets a hat. He gets him a whole change of clothing and everything else. And he comes to the wedding. Would you say that the guy who did this was mean? Or would you say the guy who did this was loving? That's my Rebbe asked me. I said, he's very loving. He said, that's Hashem. You want to come to the wedding after 120 years? You want to sit next to God? You want to sit in the ziv of Hashchina? They're not going to let you. Not when you're full of schmutz. Malachim are never going to let that happen. But Hashem wants you at his wedding. Hashem wants you next to him. You're his child. Chaviv. He wants you at the wedding, but he can't let you in like that. So he's the guy who takes you to the shower and cleans it up and gets you new clothing so that you can come to the wedding. The shower in the spiritual world is not a water shower. It's Gehenna, whatever that means. And he has all these protective things. Well, if you had a bris, you don't, they don't let you go to the Gehenna. And if you had this, you don't let you go to the Gehenna. And Avraham Avinu sitting there. And sorry, Emmanuel sitting there. And if you learn tyrant protection, if you're a snuwa, it protects you. He's got all these protections put in there because he really doesn't want you to go through that. So you could even go through Gehenna and not feel the pain and still get cleaned up. It speaks about it in Reish's Chachma. In something called Mesechtas Gehenna. I don't advise you to learn it. But there's a thing called Mesechtas Gehenna. And it talks about that someone can even get cleaned up in Gehenna and not feel any pain. Whatever that means. I don't know what that means. But Hashem wants you at the wedding. And He wants you sitting next to Him. But you can't sit next to Him if you committed adultery. You can't sit next to Him. If you killed somebody, you can't sit next to Him. You're Chal Shabbos. You're full. You're schmutzed. Spiritually. So He says, I don't hate you. I'm not vengeful. I'm not angry. I'm the guy that took you to another room and cleaned you up. And I explained this to the girls. 
But I'm a wise guy. So I said to my Rebbe, I'm sorry, I don't agree with your marshal. He says, why not? I said, because if it was my wedding for my daughter, and some collector or old guy came in and he was defecated all over, and he stinks and he smells, I would still put him in a corner and tell the waiters, close your nose when you feed him, but make sure that you feed him. I wouldn't send him out. So Gamaliel looked at me and he started to laugh. He said, you got the whole story wrong. The guy in the story, who on the way to the wedding defecated all over himself, was the Hassan. I said, oh. Would you let the Hassan walk down to the chuppah and stand next to his kala, looking and smelling like that? Nobody in the world would allow that. Everybody in the wedding would make sure that they take him somewhere, get him cleaned up. One guy would be running for a suit, next guy running for a hat, next guy running to a store for shoes, right? Scrubbers, soap. Another guy would get deodorant, spray it all over him. Aftershave, cologne. He's got to smell good, he's got to look good. He's got to look his best. He said, when you come to the next world, my Rebbe said, when you come to the next world, Hashem's the chasen and you're the kala. And he wants his kala to be beautiful. It's not revenge. It's not anger. It's not punishment. It's consequence. And we have to understand that there's consequence in the world. And I, I talk to parents about this all the time with kids that are giving them problems that are a little bit off the derech. I don't exactly know what off the derech someone told to me. You know, there's this new thing right while we got to deal with. I'm like, what? OTD. The new therapist called it OTD. It's a new thing. The minute it gets initials, it's like, oh boy, we're in trouble. Even though L-O-V-E fixes all those A-Ds and B-Ds and E-Ds and whatever else there is, I don't know. But L-O-V-E fixes everything. So I said, what does that mean? Well, it means off the derech, O-T-D, off the derech. I know about O-T-B, off-track betting, but I never heard of O-T-D. So I said, how do you know, I said to the therapist, how do you know, like when the kid shows up, that, you know, OTD means off the derech because for the same letters OTD could mean on the derech it's still OTD how do you know what that means I don't know exactly what off the derech, on the derech what's the derech it's a very hard word to understand what does it mean that a person's off the derech but anyway one of the, the biggest problems with kids when they're going off the derech is they feel that their parents are extremely unfair two things I want to talk about that their parents are always punishing them. I came home at 11, 11.30 and my mother locked all the doors and I had to go sleep by my friends. They're out of their minds, my parents, a girl tells me. So I called the parents and I said, what'd you do? The mother said, I told her to be home at 11. She showed up at 11.30, I taught her a lesson. I said, no good, that's a punishment. When you tell a child to be home at 11 and they show up at 11.30 and you put them in the street, that's a punishment. But, if you tell a child, at 11 o'clock tonight, we are closing our doors, locking our doors, and no one's going to be let into the house. And the kid knows that. And then the kid shows up at 11.30. That's a consequence. It's not a punishment. I don't know to what time Shalots is open tonight. Probably, what, 12? 11? Let's say 11 o'clock. Let's say Shalots is open at 11. And I'm not hungry because the... Which has just kept throwing food and food. I'm not hungry. But it's 11 o'clock and I turn to David and I'm like, you know, 
Those lamb chops we had the other day, I'm in the mood. Let's go. And David says, Zechariah, it's 12 o'clock. They close at 11. I don't care. I don't care. I'm Rabbi Wallerstein. I want lamb chops. <laughs> so we show up at Charlotte's at 12 o'clock tonight. Doors closed, lights are off. And I go up to the door and I start banging. Why are you punishing me? Why do you hate me? Where are my lamb chops? Nobody there. Is Shalitz punishing Rabbi Wallerstein? It's a consequence when you come to a restaurant that closes at 11 and you show up at 12. It's a consequence. It's not a punishment. So when a parent tells a child, I'm locking the door at 11, and she makes a decision that she wants to show up at 11.30, that's a consequence. But when you tell your kid be home at 11, and they show up at 11.30, and the doors are locked, and there's laser beams being fired at them, and who knows what else is going on, that's a punishment. You didn't tell them what's going to happen. Because God was very careful not to pull a shallots. Not to punish. He specifically, just the opposite, to pull a shallot. He specifically wrote every consequence of every action that would you do, what the consequences is if you commit adultery, if you steal, if you kill, if you machal Shabbos. So he didn't say, when you do this, watch out what I'm going to do to you. He said, no, I'm telling you beforehand. You show up at 11.30, the doors are closed. It's a very different relationship than the way we look at it, that everything is a punishment. It's a very different relationship. Another thing that's being thrown at me very, very much is that Hashem only cares how long my skirt is. Hashem only cares if I dive in with a minion. Hashem only cares if I eat chal Yisrael. He doesn't really care about me. He cares about Yiddishkeit. My parents? Oh, we get this a lot. My parents don't love me. My parents love that I'm a from kid. How do I know? The minute I'm not from, they throw me out. They go crazy. They disconnect from me. They yell at me. Hey, I'm your same daughter, man. So I'm not, I'm wearing pants. So what happened? I'm not your daughter anymore? I'm not that cute little kid because I put on a pair of pants. Robert Wallstein, my parents don't care about me. My parents care about my pants. Look, all my friends are right that are off the derech. They're saying the same thing. Their parents don't care about Yiddish guy, about them. I should not care about you. He only cares if you keep his religion. I've had enough of that. How come my parents don't love me for who I am? Oh, I hear that all the time. You got to love a person. For who they are. And if they want to marry a non-Jew, Rabbi, you've got to love them anyway. You've got to love people for who they are. Yeah, we're going back to the 60s. <laughs> Everything that goes around comes around. So I have these two girls that came to my office and they are spitfires. They are angry at Yiddish guy, parents, God, everything. And they come to my office and I sit down with them, and that's what they told me. They said, you guys, I'm one of those, you guys, 
you rabbis and all these people, they don't care about the Jews, they don't care about the Jews, they don't care about the people, they care about the, the laws. I'm like, you are so off. You have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah? Prove it. I'm like, easy. It's the only religion that Hashem says that a person comes before him. What does that mean? Hashem says, when your life is in danger, when a Jewish person's life is in danger, I no longer exist. You want to be an Atzala, drive your car? You want to be Michal Shabbos? You have to be Michal Shabbos. It's a mitzvah. Somebody's sick and you have to feed them chazer? How many girls I have sent to rehab in Utah and Florida and Texas from Hasidish homes and from from homes because they try to commit suicide or they're anorexic or they're cutting and their life is in danger. And I have to send them to a place that's run by the Mormons called New Haven where every single morning for breakfast it's bacon and eggs. Hasidish has stolen a girl's putting bacon in their mouth sitting with therapists from the Mormon religion whose whole religion is that the first time you will missionize a million Jews, the Messiah will come. So every one of us is a dream to missionize because every one of us brings them closer to their Messiah. I send girls and guys to rehabs that are liberal, that are teaching them that to be a lesbian is healthy. And to be a homosexual is healthy. And I go to the Rabbanim and I'm like, Rabbahais, isn't it better we just let them be drug addicts and drunks and let them keep the Torah? Isn't that better than sending a kid who's a drunk or drug addict to rehab and then after a year they come out sober guyim? Isn't a drunk Jew better than a sober, a sober guy? And every single Rebbe, the stolen Rebbe, and every rabbi that I went to, and every rabbi that I went to said, Rabbi, wrong. You got to keep him alive. A sober, Jew, a sober guy Jew, so to say, is more important than a Jew that's going to kill themselves. So yes, if they have to eat pork in the morning, and they have to be told that lesbianism and homosexuality is okay, and just do whatever you want because they're very liberal, pretty much disconnect from your religion, disconnect from your parents, disconnect from the people who hurt you, Rabbi, you have to send those kids into that place. Why? Because Hashem says, I move aside when it comes to your life. Your life is more important than my 613 mitzvahs. I say, what are you talking about, girls? What are you saying? That it's all about Judaism? It has nothing to do when it comes to God. When your life is in danger, there is no Judaism. And not only that, the three the three things you have to give your life up for. To murder, or adultery, or, or, or avoid the Zara, the Shulchan Aruch Paskins. That if someone puts his, his, a gun to your head and says, bow down to this idol, so we have to give our life up, right? It's one of the three cardinal sins. The Shulchan Aruch Paskins. But what happens if you don't? If you have a gun to your head, you're like, I just can't, I can't die. And you bow down to the avoid the Zara. Are you chayiv according to Allah? No, you're not chayiv. Your pato says the Shulchan Why? 
Because you're my anesh. It's an anesh. I, you're supposed to give up for the three causes sins. I couldn't. I wanted to live. You're a potter from the three cardinal sins if you don't give up your life from it because you're an oines. So this is a religion where God thinks his religion is more important than you. God says his religion is out the door when it comes to your life. We are being taught this so wrong. An angry, vengeful, only caring about how you dive in how long your skirt is, it's all he cares about, and he's going to burn you. I have a girl that went so off the derrick, she was in, in, I don't want to say where, in a Hasidic school, and she had her hair was a little bit, little bit longer than it's supposed to be. And the teacher walked over to her and said, when you die, worms are going to crawl through your head and your hair, because your hair is long. She went AWOL. She grew up, she said, a religion, where God's going to put worms in my head, because my hair is too long? I don't want any part of it. She ended up in my high school. Baruch Hashem. And today she's religious. But God forbid she wouldn't have. What? That's what you're teaching her? Hashem sits here and puts worms in your head? It's such... We are so misguided. Now let me tell you who he really is. Let me tell you who Hashem really is. Shira Shirim. Shira Shirim. It's called the Kache Kedashim. It says the following. Basi Lagani, a Kala. He came to my garden, my garden, my sister, the Kala. What did Hashem call us? Ani Yashain of Elibier. says, I'm sleeping, but my heart is still awake. My loved one is banging on the door. Hashem, in each one of us, he's banging on our door. Everyone in this room, he's banging on your soul. What happens? This vengeful, mean God that we are being taught exists. He says, open the door. Achosi, he calls us his sister. Rayasi, my friend. Yonasi, my dove. Tamasi. Shiraishli Nimloito. Please, open the door for me. Give me some love. Let me give you some love. Kleisrael answers, sorry. Pashatati is kutanti. I'm undressed. My pajamas are on. Echacha el bashena. It's too much work to get dressed again. I can't. Rachatsti is raglai. I washed my feet. Echacha atanfeim. You want me to get off my bed and walk again on the road on the on on, on the on the dirt to dirt my to dirty my feet? I can't. I'm not changing. I'm already undressed. Hashem says, if you don't want me, He takes His hand off the handle of the door. If you don't want me, then I won't stay. And He leaves. He leaves. But now I need Him. 
Something's going wrong in my life. I run up, I wake up, I get up to open the door for my loved one. And I feel on the doorknob that my loved one left some, some perfume. I know he was here. I know his aftershave. I know his cologne. Any wife that lives with a man for a long time and he wears cologne, she knows the smell of his cologne. His yarmulke, his shirts, everything that he owns smells from that cologne. I had a father, Lashon, that used to wear Old Spice. I have, I have his Rabbeinu Tom's tefillin. Every morning before I put them on, I smell them. Because he wore them on his head where he used to wear Vitalis. And it has his smell. And my father's car, he's already gone 17 years. My son-in-law has my father's car. I think it has like 150,000 miles. The car smells from him. When a person has a certain smell, when he, when he takes care of himself, everyone has a different cologne. It's a, different, it's a certain smell. When a woman wears a certain perfume for many years, everything that she wears, her coat, her sweaters, her jackets, and many times, when a person passes away, the children, they want to just smell their mother. They want to smell the clothing that she wears because she had a certain smell and their father had a certain smell and you miss that smell. And that's what happened here in Shir Hashirim. He comes to the door and he puts his hand on the knob and he smells his hand. He's like, oh my gosh, I know who was here. God was the one that was knocking on my door. And I was sleeping and I was busy on my iPhone and my movies and all that stupid stuff that I waste my time with. And God's at the door and he's banging and he's like, I want to talk to you, I want to be with you. My sister, my loved one, my dove, my rose. And you're like, sorry man, I am too busy with my stuff. I don't have time for you. And Shir Shirim goes on. I come to open the door and I smell the ma'ar, mar, the mar, the spice on the door. But he's not here. I look for him, I can't find him. I call to him and he doesn't answer. I find the Shaimrim, the enemies. And I ask them, could you find Hashem? We're in Golis, we need HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And they say, we can't, we don't know where he is. Probably the most powerful Pasuk written by Shlomo HaMelech anywhere. So Klai Yisrael turns and says, Hishbati Eschem Yushalayim. I swear, I make you swear. The daughters of Yushalayim. In Timsuas Daidi. If you find Hashem. If you find my loved one. What do I want you to tell him? What do I want? What do I want you to tell him that I need a shidduch, panasa, kids, Mashiach? What do you tell Hashem? What do I want you to tell Hashem? Malachim, angels who are saved in my ear. So Shlomo Melech, go to Hashem and give him a message from Klai Yisrael. What do we want, Mashiach? No. Children, panasa, no. One word, three words actually. Tagidolo, tell him, Shechailas Ahava Ani. Tell him I'm sick. 
I'm so sorry I didn't open that door when he was there. I am sick. Why am I sick? Sha'avani, because I love him so much and I feel so distant. Who in this room ever felt sick because we're so distant from HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Shlomo Melech says, don't ask for anything. Don't ask him for anything. If you have one message that you could get to God, tell him, We are sick in love with you. And that's it. And that's not a God who burns people and hurts people. He comes to our door and he calls us his loved one, his sister. And he says in Shereshim, his wife, his rose, I don't think in Hallmark they ever had it someone write more a romantic card, for sure not, than Shir Hashirim. How come we don't teach this to our children? How come in our schools, in our homes, it's all about if you're bad, he's going to get you. He's the boogeyman. Hashem is the boogeyman. He's the one that's going to take revenge. We are losing ourselves and we are losing our children they have such a negative picture of such a negative picture of who HaKadosh Baruch Hu really is so you know I say a prayer before I come to give a shir and in my prayer I talk about Hashem give me the words that they need to hear, not the words that I need to say, because sometimes they're very different. I have seven pages of notes. So far, I haven't said anything from any of them. <laughs> and don't worry, I won't. I'm not going to keep it till 12 o'clock. So I want to tell you two things, and we'll let you go. It's Mati Shabbos. Number one. Rabbi Gamliel just wrote a book on Kivit of Aim. And Amit Hashem, you know that I wrote a book on, on Hakar Satov, a lesson a day in Hakar Satov. And after I spoke to him on this trip, I made a decision that I need to put out a book, a lesson a day in Kivit of Aim. It's number five of the Sarasa Divros. And it's in the wrong place. It's in Ben Adam Lamakom. It's in the first five between us and Hashem. It should be in the second five between us and another person. But it's not about Kibbutz Avim. It's not about us and another person. It is about us and Hashem. Because if you can't honor your parents, and sometimes your parents are not the best, but sometimes you feel Hashem is not the best. So if you can't honor your parents, who you who you lived with, who you see and your five senses can connect to them, how could you honor Hashem who you don't see? And I was telling the girls in seminary, no matter how dysfunctional they are, and you should know that nobody learns, it's terrible. No schools, girls or boys teach the Shulchan Aruch, Reish Mem, Hilchus Kivur Vem. No one, you don't, you don't know the Hilchus Kivur Vem. You think you have to stand there and take abuse sometimes? No. If, you, if you're being abused mentally or physically or in any which way by your parents, you turn around and you walk out. And if they tell you you have to stay, it's kibbutz of aim. It's not. Kibbutz of aim means you can't curse them. 
and you can't answer them back. And you can't even agree with them because agreeing with them is not, what do you mean, I need you to agree with me? And if they come in and they, the first, one of the first Sifim says that there was a very, uh, uh, the head of a kahal and he was a rub and he was giving a shear and his mother father walked in and they slapped him across the face, spit him in his face, ripped his clothing, yelled at him and then says, you're not allowed to say one word. And it says, it's impossible. How can you not say one word? And it says, just concentrate that you have your Hashem and it's what Hashem wants. But you can walk out. And if on Friday you're in a seminary and you call your mother and all she does is yell and scream and you go into Shabbos every time depressed, you're not, you're not allowed to call her. And it's not a problem with Kibbutz Avayim. And what about texting? Is, is, if you text something nasty, is that considered talking? Nobody knows Allah. It says that you're not allowed to curse your parents, but that's with, with, that's with words. Can you text a curse? Are you misa if you text a curse? If you're playing hockey with your father and you take a slap shot and the puck hits him and he becomes black and blue and you cause him to bleed, are you misa? Are you allowed to play hockey with your father? If you're a doctor and you're not Salah, are you allowed to, are you allowed to take blood? Nobody knows halachas. They're very intricate halachas. So I feel very much... And there are three halachas that you don't have to listen to your parents. Straight up. Straight up, Shulchan Aruch says, you don't listen to your parents. And you're not over and What are the three? If you come home and you say, I want to marry this person, and your mother and father say, we're not coming to the wedding, you're causing us agita, we are so upset, if you do this, we're cutting you off, Shulchan Aruch says, don't have, don't, no problem. Hashem's fine with it. No problem. I'm like, what? My class was like, what? I'm like, yeah, let's learn. I took out Shulchan Aruch. Yeridea, the last chalik, and we learned it. Wow! Okay, what else? If you want to go learn in Eretz Yisrael, and the, and the yeshiva that you want to go to is much better than the yeshiva here in America, but there's a danger of what's going on, the Shulchan Aruch says, and there's a danger in the other town, but you can learn better, and your parents are like, we're going to sit home, and we're not going to sleep for the rest of our lives. You think your Torah is going to go? You think you're going to get Canadian for that? You cause your parents such aggravation? Shulchan Aruch says... Go to the other town and learn. Don't worry, no problem. Wow! And the third thing, the family doesn't get along with another family. Your parents say, I don't want you talking to their daughter because we don't talk to that family. You don't have to listen. So there are positive things, there are negative things. There are so many different halachas. Nobody has any idea what's flying. So I want to tell you what my Rebbe wrote. Rebbe Gamliel's new safer on Kivit of Aim, and I'm going to tell you a very scary story. I don't know if the kids should be here or they shouldn't be here. That's up to you guys. And the story says the following. Leo writes the following. I just want to get to one point. He writes a lot. And stuff that I don't really understand. He writes that if you're Michal Shabbos, the, 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 um, who writes this? The, the ton of the Veil Leo says if you're Michal Shabbos, if you're Michal Shabbos, if you're Michal Shabbos, if you're if he keeps kivit of aim. So he asks, Michal Shabbos like the worst Avera. Right. Hashem forgives you. That's why they're next to each other in the in Asaras Adibros. That's how Kaddish kivit of is. So I told my class, it doesn't mean you should go out and meet Michal Shabbos now. Right? But that's what, that's what he writes. Ton of Elio writes this. We don't understand what, we don't understand what kivit of aim is. But I want to tell you something that he writes the following. He says, So a lot of people come to my Rebbe Ragamliel for, you know, for help. He says, and they have a problem. And they say they're having all kinds of problems with Gidol Habanam. They're having problems with their children. What should they fix? So, you know, many times people go to me, tells you to go to Minyan, right? But he also tells you to give it over. So he asks them, 
how did you take how, how what was your what was your um, relationship with your parents if it wasn't good then many times it comes around in spiritual DNA that your kids will act out because you did now that doesn't mean that every guy that you're going to meet that his kids are off the derech that he wasn't good to his parents because I know people that were good to their parents but one of the reasons that kids go off, their, off the derech could be because of the way you treated your parents now I'm going to tell you two stories that I was personally involved in story number one I had a friend, my wife knows who he is, my wife knows the story. One day, this kid turns 15, and he starts to do crazy stuff out of nowhere. He goes into his parents' room at night, while they're in bed, and he pulls off their blankets while they're sleeping. Crazy stuff. And he starts getting like, not leaving his room, they have to feed him, he didn't take showers, like he mamish cracked up, totally, but specifically against his parents. He was the nicest kid to me, to my wife, to anyone, anyone that he knew, the sweetest kids. To his parents, he was crazy. And the craziest thing he used to do was he used to punch his father all the time. And my friend went to therapist. And they said, he went to the biggest. We sent him to the biggest in Manhattan. And she did a three-hour thing with him and filmed it. And then she studies the film. And she could tell you what, what's wrong with the child. And she comes back and says, sometimes children fall in certain cracks between certain mental disorders. He's in that crack. I can't, I can't give you a diagnosis. Now, the minute you say that to me, I know that it has nothing to do with this world. That the sickness is not from this world. The sickness... Is a spiritual sickness. The minute they're like, this is not something we can diagnose, this is not, you know, stuff's going on in the house, so you have to fill up the shadum holes, you have to look at the mezuzahs. There are times that you just see things that don't make sense, and that's when it's from the other world. So I told my friend, let's stop wasting our time. He went to this or that, but he had, they said he had Asperger's, they said he was, he was schizophrenic. They, they, they had him on so much medicine, that the medicines were killing the other medicines, he had to take medicines to save some of the other medicines. It was not normal, but nothing helped. Nothing helped. It should have, the medicines he was on should have knocked him out like a hippo. Like a hippo. He should have been just sleeping 24-7. This guy, every single night, would pull his parents' blankets off and hit his father. So I said, let's go to Eretz Yisrael. What are we doing? We're going to therapists? This is spiritual. We need to go to some spiritual doctors. Let's go to some Mekubalim. So we went to this Mekubal. And he said maybe he's, he maybe has a dibuk, but then he checked out, there's a certain pusik if you say, then it didn't, it didn't react to that. We, finally, we came to my Rebbe Rabbi Gamliel. This is a long, this is, gotta be 10 years at least ago. So I come with my friend and his son, and we come to Rabbi Gamliel, and Rabbi Gamliel looks at his son, he talks to him for two minutes, he tells him to leave the room. I said, you want me to leave the room too? My friend says, nope, you're staying next to me. I'm like, okay. Ragamliel listens to my friend. He says, he's a Meshuggah now. He comes, he pulls my blanket off, then he hits me. Ragamliel looks at my friend and he says, what do you expect? Didn't you hit your father? I'm standing next to him. He turns white. And I'm like, I think I should leave now? And my friend says, no. He says, I don't know how the Rebbe knows there was one time in my life, I was 17 years old, and my father slammed me across the face, and I just turned around and slammed him back across the face. 
Rabbi said, I can't help you. When you slammed him across the face, you created a malach, a mazik, and that malach is now taking revenge through your child. The only thing you could do, he gave him a sefer with a mechila tefillah, go to your father's grave, he told him his father had passed away, take off your shoes, stand on the grave, say this tefillah, be minadav money for your father's neshama, and maybe he'll be you. He went, he cried for a long time, he gave the tzedakah, he said the tefillah, I'm a witness, I'm standing up in front of you. Today his son is very fine. Mitzah Hashem is going to be married, he's a good boy. It took a, it took a while, but it worked. I saw it myself. He stopped the pulling of the blankets, he stopped the punching, and slowly but surely, no therapy, he just became normal. Okay. I was like, wow. I don't know how my Rebbe knew it, but I guess he understands that what, what you do, if, if the symptom is he's beating the father, then you must have hit your father. Okay. Number two. I'm in Teaneck. I'm speaking in a place called Beth Aaron. I finish speaking, and a man comes over to me after the speech, and he says, Brother Wallace, I need to talk to you. I have a son, he's also 15, and I heard the story you just told. And the same thing happened, except a little bit different. He went cuckoo all of a sudden, and he comes home and curses the worst filthy four-letter words. He curses my wife. Rabbi Austin, you don't understand. This is the nicest boy. He never used a curse word. He doesn't use a curse word. He is civil. He does well in school. He davens. He's a shefla. When it comes to my wife, stuff comes out of his mouth that is so vile, I don't know what to do. I said, can I meet your wife? Sure. Come to my house. I went to the house after the share. I sit down and I say to the husband, tell me about your relationship with your father. My father was a Holocaust survivor. I didn't have a relationship. He was very cold. I said, but like, were you chutzpahdik? No, no, I just, you know, I didn't have a relationship. But no, I never did anything wrong. Okay. I turned to the wife. I'm like, tell me your relationship with your parents. She said, Rabbi Wallstein, I'm a Sephardi. I'm Moroccan. My husband's Ashkenaz. My parents live in Israel. They were very anti. They said, if I marry an Ashkenazi, they will cut me out of the family. And I was a rebellious girl. And Baruch Hashem, I'm happy I married my husband. And I married my husband and they cut me out. My whole family in Eretz Yisrael, my sisters, my brothers, nothing. They didn't come to my wedding. My parents didn't come to my wedding. They cut me out. I said, you cut me out, I cut you out. And I got a phone call. And my father died. And I should come to Eretz Yisrael to sit Shiva. And I said... I'm not sitting Shiva on a man who didn't consider himself my father. And not only I didn't go to Eretz Yisrael to sit Shiva, I didn't sit Shiva. And then two years later, my mother died. And again, they asked me, please, you missed, you missed Abba's, but we want to make peace with you. Come back and sit Shiva for mommy. She said, she's not my mommy. And I didn't sit Shiva. And I didn't sit Shiva in Tinek. I didn't sit Shiva at all. I said... You got a problem. And if the boy is just cursing you and no one else, you created a terrible malach 
by not sitting shiva for your parents and for not going to Eretz Yisrael. You got to get on a plane. I know what you got to do. I have the tefillah. I forgot, it's, it's in the Ma'ana Lashen. It's a safer called Ma'ana Lashen. There's a tefillah. How to ask Mechila. And I said, I'll get you a copy of the tefillah. Go to your parents where they're buried. Take your shoes off. And step on the monuments on each one of them. Cry. Ask them Mechila. Promise to give money for tzedakah. Do what you got to do. I know it works. Okay? The next day they were on a plane. They took the tefillah. I said, oh, by the way, on your way, you're going for one day. On the way home, stop by my Rebbe and get a bracha. So they went, and the husband told me, my wife was there for four hours, first by her mother. She was crying, she was not much crying, it was raining, and it didn't matter, she was crying. Then she went to her father, she was crying, and she asked the Mechila, he said, I never in my life saw such pain. I was standing there, I, was, I asked Mechila that I didn't force her to sit shiva. You don't even understand what went on. They're on their way back now to Lud, they stopped by Rabbi Gamliel in Yerushalayim. They come to Rabbi Gamliel, they tell him the whole story, and that thank him that because of what he did with the other boy. And Rabbi Gamliel says, you're wasting your time, they're not you." And they call me up and they're like, hey, we, got, we got a crisis. Your Rebbe said, they're not me." So I said, ask him why he said that. So they said, Rabbi Gamliel, the phone for, in the, from his house, Rabbi Gamliel, why, why do you think they weren't Michael? He said, because in the first story, the, the, the boy, hit the, the guy hit his father, was done privately. No one knew about it. So Mechil was private. But she didn't sit shiva. And she didn't go to Eretz Yisrael. Everyone knew that. So she embarrassed her parents publicly. Barabim. Barabim, standing on a stone is not going to help you. But if she would go with a minion, and she would do Mechila and ask Mechila in front of a minion, then she would be forgiven. But it was a ready night. And you don't go to a graveyard at night. So I told them they have to change their ticket. They lost a lot of money on that ticket. You got to change your ticket. I called the yeshiva and stroll that I'm very friendly with. I said, you need to send 10 boys with this couple to go out to the, to the graveyard. They, they need to do something. So they didn't ask any questions. And they sent the 10 boys. And she really broke down. And the, the, the Rebbe said to me, I don't know what went on and what you did, Rebbe Wallstein. But those 10 boys came back and said, they're going to have kibbutz of aim like nobody you ever met before. <laughs> It's a true story. And they came back, and Rabbi Gamil said, you're probably forgiven. And they came back, and they went home. It didn't take a year for him to become totally normal. Kibbut of aim. The lack of kibbut of aim creates malachim that are mazikim. And they take, they take revenge. So the first thing we need to look at is how we treat our parents. Number one, number uno. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not judging anyone. I'm getting up here to tell you, and even if your kids are really great, you got to be very careful with kibbutz of aim because it's l'mayn yirbu yemecha chas v'shalom the other way. If not, it's not a reward for them in the Torah. The Torah says if you honor them, then you're going to live longer. It's the first few pages. You should get this safer. It's amazing. A lot of it's going to be in my new book, but it's amazing what he writes here. Well, that's what he writes. Kibbutz of aim. Is Mechaper Chilo Shabbos. You hear where it, you hear where it, you hear what Kivit of Aim is? It's Mechaper Chilo Shabbos. I want to end with this. We got two minutes. So you want to know if Hashem loves you? I'm going to prove it to you. And I always tell this to my girls, even the girls that are in the worst place. I'm like, and I might have said this in Chicago a few years ago, I'm not sure. 
So this, this woman has this son who's a terrible baseball player. And nobody wants to choose him in. Nobody wants him. He strikes out all the time. He drops the ball all the time. And she feels very bad because in the summer, every single day, there's a baseball game on the block. And they leave her little Yehuda out. And she doesn't know what to do. She hears that in a big sporting goods store, there's a bat called a super bat. And if you touch the ball with that bat, the ball is going to go over the fence. So she comes to the store. She, she loves her child. And she says to the man, the salesman, do you have the super bat? He goes, yeah, you got a kid that can't hit? She goes, yeah. He says, well, the super bat is $199. She says, well, what's a regular baseball bat go for? $29, $39, $49. She goes, well, therapy's around the same amount of money. I might as well buy a bat. So he gives her the bat, and she's all excited. My son is going to hit a home run. They're all going to want him to play. But he's going to own the bat, so everyone's going to want to play with him because it's his bat. You know, like in the old days, it's your ball. I choose who plays on my team. I got the ball. So he, she comes home. He comes home after school, and she, she loves him. She loves him so much, and she's so excited. She spent so much money, and she goes over. She says, Yehuda, what, Ma? I bought you the super bat. What? Yeah, just touch the ball, and it'll be a home run. Can I see? Can I see? Can I see? She goes, you can see. You can go out and play with your friends. And she takes the wrapper off and she gives him the bat. And he turns to his mother and he takes the bat. Whack! Across her knees. Whack! Across her back. And her friend is there. And she's watching this little boy who just got a present beating his mother with the bat. And she turns to her friend and she says, take it away from him. And he hits her again. She's like, I'm going to take it away from him. She said, don't touch him. Why are you letting him hit you like this with the bat? Because when he finishes hitting me, he's going to go outside to play. When he goes outside to play, he's going to hit a home run. When he hits a home run, they're going to let him play every day. It's more important to me than the pain of getting hit by this bat. <coughs> Who in this room would ever allow Chasrashalm, his wife, his son, to beat his wife with a bat? The first thing we would do would take that bat away from the kid and let him know what it feels like. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of Chicago, this is us. We are Yehuda. Every morning Hashem gives us a super bat called life. Hearing, seeing, smelling, touching, tasting. He gives us five senses. He gives us a super bat. He gives us life. He's like, go out there. Hit a home run. Do mitzvahs. Look at the right things. Say the right things. Listen to the right things. I gave you the bat. I gave you life. We turn around. We take that bat called life. And we use our eyes to watch things we should not see. And we use our mouth to eat things we should not eat. And say things that we should not say. And touch things we should not touch. We take the super bat that he gives us every morning. Whack! Shemir Sanayim? I don't care. I'm going to look at whatever I want to. Whack! 
What I should eat, what I shouldn't eat. I, what I should say, I want to talk by davening. What? And the Malachim are standing in Shemayim and saying, Hashem, take the bad away from them. You give life, take it back. And this mean, vengeful God that we're teaching our kids about in school turns around and says, It's okay, Malachim. Let him hit me. Let him beat me with the bat that I give them called life. Because maybe after they finish beating me, they'll hit a home run. They'll do a mitzvah. They'll dab him with kavana. They'll turn off the movie. Maybe, says the Mishnah. Hashem says, I wait till the last second of your life for you to use the bat for the right things. So anyone who ever comes and tells you that God is mean and vengeful, you tell them, mean and vengeful? Only God can give you a bat every day that you used to beat him and then give it to you back the next day and give it to you back the next day and give you back the next day and you're beating away and the malachim are screaming, it's enough and that's what they were screaming. Kill them, wipe out the world, destroy it. What do you need human beings for? All they do is take your life and they use it against you and Hashem's like, it's true. But like I said in the Mishnah, they're my children and even though they've given me a beating, just maybe when they're finished, they'll do something right. And they'll hit a home run. So ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to take that super bat and knock it over the wall. And bring Mashiach. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.